church, we want to welcome you once again to an online video serving for our church. Many of you may be absent this morning due to being on vacation and various different things, but most of you most likely due to not um, getting back out into public quite yet during this time of quarantine and coming out of that season. For those that are in situations like that, we can not wait for you to gather again with us. We long for the day where all of our brothers and sisters in Christ are able to gather again together under the same roof. But until then, we are thankful for this means of worship, and we hope that it is edifying and beneficial for your soul. Just a way of a few announcements for us this morning before we get into the sermon itself. I want to remind you that you are able to send in your tithes and go online as well to give in that way if you are not able to attend just yet. But I also want to read a letter that is from the deacon body to the congregation. It says, Dear Spring Hill family, the deacons have met and want to inform the church on some very important decisions and recommendations coming from the deacon body. During this unprecedented time and recent development, we need to pray for a few different things. First and foremost, the deacons are recommending that all committees and teaching positions remain the same for our new church year that started June the 1st. If you fall into that category and you're for some reason not able to remain in that position or unwilling to, we ask that you reach out to the nominating committee and they find a replacement for you. Secondly, the deacons are recommending to go back to three services in this sanctuary activities only. And then also and finally that there will be a very important business meeting held on Wednesday, June the 10th. And we need to set a pulpit committee and vote for another church business and other church business. We hope and pray as many as feel comfortable meeting will attend. During that meeting, there will be setting a pulpit committee as well as discussing some of these other things mentioned in the letter. If you are able to attend, we would encourage you to do so. And if you're not comfortable with it, we understand completely. And that is the announcements we have this week. And as we go into a time of preaching, I want to just take a moment and pray for us as we approach God's word together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the time that we get to spend together, many of us in the actual church in this moment right now, and then some of us not. God, for those that are not able to join us in the sanctuary, we pray that this would be a time of encouragement to them, and we long for the day that we're able to see them again together. Until then, Father, we thank you for this means of worship, though it is not normal and it's not something we want to make a regular practice whenever we move out of this season of life. But now, Father, as we go into the time of the preaching of your word, would your name be glorified and would you take and use your word to impact our lives in the way that you would have for us this morning. We pray this in your son's perfect and holy name. Amen.
you have a copy of God's Word, I would ask you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 23. That is Colossians chapter 2, 16 through 23. Before we get into the text itself this morning, I wanted to begin by just calling into a reminder of last week's sermon. And in last week's sermon, we see that Brother Caleb looked at um, looked and preached through verses 6 through 15, and in doing so, we saw the foundation of the fullness of the believer in Christ. And we saw this in three different ways. We saw that you were made full by Him, so be full in Him. That you were made clean by Him, so be clean in Him. And also that you were made alive by Him, so live for Him. Now the reason why I wanted to begin by recalling to your mind what we looked at last Sunday is primarily because in this week's text we're going to see a word called therefore and so Paul is bridging his next statement to his previous one and I think a part of that is actually verse is 13 and through 15 and in verses 13 through 15 it says and you who were dead in your trespasses and the circumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all trespasses by canceling the record, the record of debt that stood against us with the legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. In these verses is a wonderful reminder for each and every one of us primarily that our salvation is not of our own doing for we were dead in our sins but God made us alive in Christ Jesus by forgiving us of our sins and in doing so he canceled our sin debt and paid the price by nailing it to the cross See, that's the, the reality of everyone that has come to Christ in salvation. And honestly, it is the biggest need for anyone that has not. That they need someone to pay that sin debt for them. But for the believer, this is why two hymns really just resonates with us and are sweet to our ears and sweet to our hearts. Which is Jesus paid it all and in Christ alone. The reason why I want to emphasize these two is because there's lines in each of them. I just want to just to read to you this morning as we approach the text that we're going to be looking at together. The first one is Jesus paid it all. And it, and it has these words here. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'm just going to read it. And it says this. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Oh, he washed it. Yeah, he washed it white as snow. See, Christ paid our debt on the cross, and it was by the nailing it to it. Now, but in Christ alone, it's really the most significant thing I can read for us before we get into the text itself. And it says, in Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live. See, the reality as we approach the, the topic of this morning's sermon 
is that it's imperative and it's so important that we rightly understand from the very beginning that our salvation is in Christ alone and nothing else. See, Jesus, not Jesus plus anything, and that, that is exactly what Paul is trying to explain in this morning's text to the church of Colossae, is that it's not Jesus plus everything else. Rather, it is Jesus and Jesus alone. And if you're adding anything to that equation, then you probably don't have him at all. And so this morning, as we get into the text itself, let's begin in verse 16. That is Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink, or with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. There are shadows of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason of the sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with growth that is from God. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to the human perspectives and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The text itself is quite difficult in nature, but honestly it's because um, really, as 21st century Christians, there's a lot of different references and things that Paul really addresses in the text itself that we just don't live through. Like, for example, many of you, if not all of you, are not at, not at home on your free time worshiping angels. In all reality, most of you are not dealing with the things in which Paul is addressing because there's two kind of sides to it. First and foremost, there seems to be this false religion and this heresy that is coming into the church from both sides of Christianity, one from the, the Jewish background that you must continue to do these same rituals and things that we once did, and then even from the pagan background of the Roman government that's saying that you should do these other things as well as Christianity. Regardless, the situations were the same. They were adding something to salvation that was more than just Christ alone. And though this is the case, and though it's difficult for us to understand, I'm going to try my best to explain it without really oversimplifying it. But to be quite honest with you, the simplification of this text itself is that you are saved through faith alone and Christ alone, no, by no works of yourself. And that is what Paul is laying out for the church of Colossae. So this morning, if you're following along or taking notes, the title of my sermon, as you've probably already seen or you're seeing at the bottom of the screen now, is that in confidence in Christ, the first point being, rather than religious practice. 
that we ought to have confidence in Christ rather than religious practices. Paul in verse 16 begins by saying the word therefore. You've heard this word many times in scripture and is any other time that has been read or preached from it is important for us to ask the question is what is this therefore therefore essentially and so we ask that question and by doing so we would rightly understand and know that it's because Paul is referring back to something he has already said or addressed and so though that the overall theme that he's pointing back to is verses 6 through 15 that entire section of scripture that Brother Caleb preached from last week, I think it's important that we note that verses 8 as well as 13 through 15 are kind of the high points of that in referring to this morning's text itself. 13 through 15, we've already read as we laid down the foundation of our salvation being Christ alone. Verse 8, though, is something I think is important that we kind of brush through just quite quickly, where it says, See to it. That no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See verse 8, as well as these other scriptures. And the ones that we're going to explore now are really just going into more details of what was touched on briefly last week. We're going to be exploring these philosophies and empty deceits according to human traditions according to elemental spirits of the world. So that's what Paul is unfolding for the church of Colossae. So he says, therefore, pointing back to the fact that our salvation is in Christ as well as these are the things that he was just calling the church to, to stray away from and to move away from. Then he says, let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one pass judgment on you. See, Paul is making kind of this bold statement and really this confusing statement in a lot of ways. But he's simply just saying, don't let anyone look down on you for not doing these religious acts. Now, we're going to get to these acts in just a moment. But Paul is beginning by saying to the church of Colossae and encouraging them at that, is don't let anyone look down or talk down to you or even say that you're an unbeliever because you're not practicing these things. Or that you're less than or less spiritual or even less saved than anyone else in the church because you're not putting these things into practice or maybe you are doing some of these things. So Paul is trying to encourage the saints to not fall into the trap of believing that they must practice or not practice certain things to be saved. He first says food or drinks. Food or a drink. While we don't exactly know the reasoning of this false teaching in, um, in the church itself, but what we do know is that for whatever reason, these false teachers to some extent or another is advocating for abstinence from certain kinds of food and drink. And it's clear that this is exactly what they're going doing. We don't exactly know why, but we know that this is what they're calling the church to. Essentially saying that if you eat certain things or you drink certain things, then you are not a true believer of Christ. Now, we don't know what these things are eating or drinking God. We don't know the details here. But what we do know instead of is that Paul is calling this false doctrine out by simply saying this is not the case. That if you participate in these things, just like these festivals and new moons and Sabbaths, 
If you participate in these things, then that does not necessarily mean that you're an unbeliever. But rather, you're saved what? Through Christ alone, through faith alone. That your confidence is in Christ, not in the things that you eat or drink. Even so much so that in verse 21, Paul says these things are perishable. Which should recall us to think about the Pharisees asking Christ a question. And he says, these things pass through the stomach. See, the reality that Paul is addressing here is whatever the circumstances is, that these individuals were not disqualified from salvation because they were participating in certain foods or drinks. But rather, their salvation is not contingent on that. Rather, it is being confident in the salvation they have found in Christ. The second thing, though, and really third and fourth, is that these festivals or new moons or Sabbath. Festivals, new moons, or Sabbath. See, another thing that these false teachers seem to be adding to salvation was mandating that one would practice and participate in festivals, new moons, and meeting on the Sabbath itself. Now, the reason what's going on here is this is some of the traditions of the Jewish uh, culture coming through the church. And these people that were once uh, Jewish individuals are now adding this into salvation, saying that they must now participate in these things so that they can be saved. And Sabbath may be kind of taking you back a little bit because Sabbath is something that we, we kind of talk about often and something that you're most likely doing right now is that you're watching this video on what we call the Sabbath day. But what he's referring to here is the Jewish Sabbath, which would be Saturdays, and it would be a time where they gather in the temple. See, these individuals are addressing and adding things to salvation, saying, look, you have to continue these festivals of the Old Testament. You have to continue these festivals of the Old Covenant, even though you have trusted in Christ. But that's not the case. And that's why Paul is calling this out to the church of Colossae. He's saying that is simply not the case. You are not to trust in these other things to save you. If you add anything to your salvation outside of Christ, then it is not sufficient. But he explains it this way. He says, these things are shadows of the thing to come. Now, to really think through this, um, I think we all know what a shadow is. Um, you should. If you don't, uh, I'm sorry. But you really, uh, all of us know what shadows are. And as I was thinking through this, I, would, I was really thinking about how ridiculous would it be that if on my phone, instead of having a picture of my family as my background, I had a picture of their shadows as my background. Or if on the mantle of your home, instead of having this glorious picture of all of your kids and grandkids together enjoying life, you had the shadow that they made on that Sunday, Sunday evening. Or if your work computer had a picture of the shadows of your kids playing ball instead of the pictures of your kids themselves. See, that's ridiculous. We would never do anything of that nature because the shadows aren't what matter. The shadows are just a reminder or a reference to us of the ones in which they are casting up, which in this case would be pictures of our families, whatever the case may be, wherever we have placed those pictures. That's what Paul is saying here is that these festivals, these activities, these different things that they once practiced in the Jewish religion, in the Old Testament law, in the Old Testament covenant, these things that they once practiced, 
was merely shadows of the one to come. And now the one that was to come, which is Christ himself, has came. There is no need in looking to these shadows anymore, but rather looking to Christ himself. He goes on, he says, the substance belongs to Christ. There's no substance in the things that will point you to him. The only thing of substance of our salvation is Christ himself. So Paul is urging the Colossae church to look to him and not the shadows. But in all reality, as we look at these different things, if we look at this idea of controlling what another person, person eats or drinks, or adding these regulations that they must do these certain things to be saved, if we're going to be completely honest, don't we do the same thing today in the church? Isn't this something that is still happening today in Christianity? Don't we add regulations on an individual? And if they don't live up to it just perfectly, we count them off as one that has not truly been saved. Isn't this something that plagues the church in time and time out? I mean, let's think through some of these. Now, most of these things are good things. Most of these things are things that we should practice as believers. But often we equate these things to our salvation rather than the works of our salvation. Meaning the things that we do now after we have come to Christ in salvation. Church attendance being one of those. How often do we equate one's spiritual life and discipline to the Heavenly Father by their attendance on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights? Or Sunday school, or whatever the case may be. How often do we equate one's spiritual life to the way they read the Bible? That the amount of time they spend in the Word of God daily, or maybe even their outward appearance, how often are we to see someone that does not dress quite the same as us or maybe looks different than us if it be racial or if it be the fact that they may have a lot of piercings or tattoos or maybe they just aren't put together like we are? How often do we look at these individuals and assume something that they are not a believer? Or how often do we call them to change these outward things? rather than changing their inward things before we invite them to our churches or even to a time of discipleship. But we also see this in mandating that one would abstain from certain foods or drinks, to abstain from certain genres of music or even movies, or even in certain sections of Christianity, we see this speaking a doubt against different hobbies and activities that they say are unbiblical, but rather is just not their preference. My point is simply this, is that today's church is no different than that of the Church of Colossae. There are individuals that are mandating that one does all the right things or does not do all the quote-unquote wrong things to be saved. But that will not be the case, for it is clear that salvation isn't through any right religious practices. These things are merely shadows. But rather, we are saved through Christ himself. So our confidence is in Christ rather than our religious practices. And it has to be. If you're trusting 
in the practices that happen in this building or the things that you do in the community around that only people see and not trusting in the faith that you have placed in Christ alone and his redemption on the cross. And you're merely putting your faith in something outside of Christ. And that is not sufficient for salvation. The second thing we see is that confidence in Christ rather than the appearance of godliness. That we should have confidence in Christ rather than the appearance of godliness. Paul first equates this in verse 18. He uses a very similar language as he did in verse 16. He says, let no one disqualify you no one look down on you. No one judge you. Don't worry about what they're saying or thinking because you're not doing these things. Is what Paul is alluding to here. It says insisting on asceticism. Now, this word may be one that I pronounce incorrectly or it may be one that you don't even know. But to sum it up nicely for you is false humility. It's false humility. What it was was this practice, and it's still this practice, and it's something that has been rampant in the last 10 or 15 years, but it's this false humility of surrendering certain things in your life so that you would appear to be more godly than you really are. It would be sacrificing certain things in your life so that you would feel closer to God rather than trusting and resting in Christ. Paul goes on in verse 23, and he kind of refers back to this. He says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body to the body. What he's talking about here is these individuals, they would, they would fast for days so that they would have visions and dreams of, of angels and things of that such. We're talking about people that would give up certain just gifts and graces of coming graces of God so that they could appear to be more godly than their neighbor next to them. See, it seemed that they believed that submitting to these restrictions would aid them in their sanctification or even stop from sinning. We see this at the end of verse 23 where Paul says, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. See, this section of appearing to be godly was simply just putting into practice of removing sin without removing the sin condition of your heart. It was removing the temptation and the lust and the things that just cause you to be dragged down into your sinner, your sinner nature, which is sinfulness. And rather than dealing with the heart and killing the sin within, removing the temptation around not a bad practice, but at the end of the day, if you don't address the sinfulness of your heart, and all you do is remove the surrounding things that tempt you in that sinfulness, then nothing has changed. So Paul is saying, don't have this false humility. It is yet an appearance of godliness. But it's something you ought not put your confidence in. The next thing we see here, is he's talking about angel worship. 
This is something that we don't think of often. This isn't something that you practice at all or even have dealt with practicing most likely. The reality of it though is that this is something that we just don't quite understand. But if we take a step back and we look into their, their time period and where you take a step back and we look at their lives as Jewish individuals, we can kind of see how they will unfold this in their lives because this is a reality. Angels in the Old Testament, um, even if you look at Greek and things of this such, what we see in that is that there were messengers by God to people declaring his word to them directly. And so though we can take a step back and look thousands of years in future history back into the past and we judge these individuals for worshiping angels, in all reality, they were worshiping something that seemed to be greater than them because they were ones that heard God directly. So it was only natural that they would deal and just battle with this temptation. But it's not something that we deal with today because this isn't the means in which we hear God's word. We have a copy of God's word in our homes. But a way that this is relevant to our lives, I believe, and I don't think I'm stepping too far over on this, because this isn't something that we encounter often. I do think it is something that we encounter in praising certain pastors and religious leaders to pointing and placing them into a place on a pedestal because they're the one that speaks on behalf of God. We see this in different sections of Christianity. We see this in celebrity pastors or pastors that preach a prosperity gospel. But we also see this to those who blindly follow the words of a man rather than placing it up against the teaching of God's word. See, it is so often I hear of pastors deceiving congregational members to believing things that are contrary to the word of God because they like a little bit of power. See, the reality is we may not be worshiping angels, but we're tempted on a regular basis, maybe not us as individuals, but the Christian church as a whole, to follow individuals that are contrary and teaching things contrary to God's word. And we follow them because they have an enthusiasm about them that is just easy to, to follow and to trust. And we place them in places they ought not be. The next thing Paul mentions is visions and going to refer to them as dreams as well. So another issue that was going on with these people in the church of Colossae that was preaching this false gospel was they were equating visions and dreams of something of being proud for. Let's look at verse 18 together where it says puffed up without reason by sensuous mind. See, they were equating these dreams and these visions as something that was to be proud of and prideful of. And this has been an attack of Satan for years and centuries. This is where many false religions and cults have come from. I mean, just simply looking at Mormonism or Islam, it begins on the, the edge of an angel speaking to someone, declaring something that was supposedly from God, but was not too from God to his people, or rather a work of Satan on the life of those around him. See, the reality is visions and dreams are not things that we should equate to spirituality. 
This is something that you may encounter in Millport, Alabama or in Lamar County that people taking these encounters that they think they personally seen God himself or heard his audible voice as something to be proud of. But what we should rightly understand is that God does not communicate to us in the same means in which he did in the Old Testament. Rather, he has done it through the working of the Holy Spirit through men to write scripture. So, what does Paul continue to say? He has called out these various things, this false humility, this angel worship, these visions and dreams that they were being puffed up in. And what he says about all of these things is found in verses 24 and 25. He says, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, Grow with growth that is from God. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is it, is it as if we were still alive in the world? Do you not submit to regulations? What Paul is expressing that these individuals were making these things in practices actually had false religion. It's because they were disconnected from the head, meaning they were disconnected from Christ and his church. That these false things, these things that had this appearance of godliness were not truly godly. Rather, they were false religions and they were separated from his church. We do see this beneficial aspect of the head in these two verses, though. It was provided to grow and not for this false sense of godliness. See, our confidence cannot and must not be an external spiritual practice that actually props one up, but rather causing them to trust in their Savior. What Paul unfolds for you here is that these false things don't build you up, but rather God builds you up through Christ Jesus. And so not only does he save you, but he provides the growth for you. So what Paul is making clear in these set of verses is that one is saved in and through Christ alone, not of any other thing that may appear godly, though they are actually worldly. That their confidence should not be in anything that has this appearance of godliness, but rather in Christ and Christ alone. How do we apply this to our lives today? How do we look at this section of Colossians and we apply this rightly? I think it's simply by understanding that we as individuals are prideful people and that we often seek false humility. We are often prone to worship things that are not God himself. And we're often uh, equating our spiritual life to things that are not necessarily equivalent to our growth in Christ. What I mean by that is we equate our spiritual life with how good we did not sin this week. Or we equate our life, our spiritual life, to how much we read God's Word or how much time we spent in prayer. See, the reality is all of those things are great and wonderful and things that we should be seeking for in our lives. But at the end of the day, what matters is the work of God in our lives. So our confidence are not in these things, but rather in Christ and Christ himself. So this morning, 
we come to an end and we walk away from Colossians chapter 2, 16 through 23. My plea and my prayer is really just twofold. Is that God would simply save those that have been trusting in religion and appearance of godliness to save them rather than the finished work of God. Most likely before you heard this message, most likely before God has got your attention, you did not even realize that you were seeking these th salvation in these things. But as you reflect back on your life, you can look back and see that you've trusted in the actions of your life more than you have the Savior that is offering His forgiveness and His repentance. So this morning, my prayer is that you would trust in God's finished work through Christ Jesus to save you and not the own work of your life. Secondly, though, is those that have been living under this thumb of do not handle and do not taste and do not touch, that you would rest in knowing that your salvation is not dependent on being perfect or without error. Rather, it is, it, rather it is in the finished work of Christ, and he has nailed it to the cross, that the maintaining of your salvation is not in your work, but rather in the finished work of Christ, and so you can rest in that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. God, we pray now that as we've approached your word, that you would use it to impact our lives in the way that you would have. God, for any of that is just living in religion and false godliness, God, bring them out of that. Give them the ability to trust in Christ rather than their own works. But Father, take it a step farther in those that are stuck in legalism and stuck in living a life a certain way just because they think that is what's right. Or rather because they think that that's what they should be doing or should not be doing. But Father, it's something that is holding them back from a closer and closer walk with you. God, bring them from that. We pray this in your son's perfect and holy name. Amen. Thank you again for listening and watching this week's sermon. I want to remind you of a few things. First and foremost, that on this Wednesday, June the 10th, we're going to be having a business meeting to discuss various things from um, just teaching positions as well as nominating a search committee for the pastorate, as well as just talking and discussing about gathering again in three services in the sanctuary alone. Uh, I would encourage you to come and be a part of that. But as we kind of come to an end, I just want to just remind you and encourage you that following um, the sermon, we're going to be having discussion questions on the screen. I would encourage you to take an opportunity to discuss that with those in your household. And maybe those that are coming back to your household that were was at church this morning. Discuss it with them. Uh, be encouraged by one another's presence. Thank you. We hope you have a good week.